Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Welcome everybody. We're back here for another episode of Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. We got uh, myself and R.L. Frazier. You're in Madison today. You're in your office in Madison, aren't you? Yes, uh, still in the office here. All right. Well, Kylie's out. She had to go home sick. She's uh, a little under the weather today. She's. Uh, I talked to her uh, earlier this morning. Here, with all the dust in the air, with harvest running wide open. Yeah, she's talking about trying to get a sinus infection. So she was, she was going home. She went home about middle of the morning. Uh, kind of get herself squared away. Yeah, in her condition. She don't need to be sick. No, she doesn't. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about today. We got some things to go. And I know she did an interview with Daniel Stevenson, and um, going to talk about weed control after harvest, mainly uh, I guess corn right now because we're cutting corn. Uh, yeah, some things. Beans has been cut. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we can talk about. It. Let's talk about harvest. I was, I've been uh, today, I know in Tensile we've cut beans, we're probably half through cutting corn. A uh, few beans have been cut, not a lot, uh, they cut well, now, I will say this. Corn's going to cut about average, what the long term average will be, good and bad, you know, it's going to average out. Rice is doing well, uh, cotton's opening. Uh, I went to Catahoula this morning, tweeted out a picture of the... Uh, Catahoula soybean variety trial. It's turning. It's at R6. Yes. Um, I talked to the grower. He's figuring probably take the leaves off in the next week, probably the first first of the next. Uh, but it looks good. All of them, all of them look good. So uh, and this corn, they cut. They probably half through with corn down there too. Uh, he's ple- he was pleased with what he's got. And he's all dry land. So. Well, similar situation here. Talk with some folks here in Madison and in East Carroll Parish. You know, we're not setting a record year on corn harvest, uh, but for everything that we've been through, the weather conditions from spring all well, left back up from last fall till now, uh, we're going to be a you know an average crop. We're not going to be a record crop in corn, but everybody's everybody's really really and truly they're, they're tickled to death with their yields. They're getting considering. Yeah. Most now you got some that fell way off, but it was all weather related. And like you, we're probably 50, 60 percent plus harvested on corn. We've cut a few beans, uh, and and then those were some that struggled. They were planted mm-hmm. real early, that 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 had some issues, uh, and and they were in the mid 50s, and they were tickled with those, you know, for what those the stress mm-hmm. those beans had been under. Uh, we got some really good beans out there yet to come. Uh, I haven't looked at my variety trials lately, uh, but I know that first one I planted is within a couple of days of your planting, mm-hmm. so I'm probably right there real close to. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I got a late, a later variety. Cotton looking really good. Some of it is beginning to open. Uh, rice looked good last time I was able to get to it. But to my knowledge, we're a little behind on rice, so we're we're not cutting any yet that I know of. Well, the the rice is rice. What they've cut's been good. Uh, not a lot's been cut, but a little bit. Uh, be more, probably some more next week, and then it's just gonna go on. Uh, interesting thing. 
Um, and I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. I think we did. Uh, I saw your bear the other day. Oh, okay. The one uh, up there above the station by the woods. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Where you said you passed him and he was sitting there watching traffic going by. Yeah. He was looking both ways and then crossed the road safely. Well, he was back again, I think it was Monday. Monday or Wednesday. I can't remember when I was up there. But even, I think it may have been Wednesday. I passed him. He's standing on the side of the road, looking both ways. They're cutting. They're actually cutting corn across the road, oh, and he was, uh, he was just standing there waiting, you know. And and I didn't. There was cars behind me, so I didn't see him get to cross. But he just stood there. I figured he's gonna go over there and see if he can find where that combine dumps on or the grain buggy dumps on. Yeah. But uh, he, and then from there, you don't know it, but you probably don't know it. But there's a pecan orchard behind that field, yeah. and those candies get ready first and they're always in those first those first few candy trees that are on there i guess they'd be on the west side of the orchard close to the cornfield there's always a bears sitting out there when they first fall you know okay now that's a new one on that wasn't oh yeah they sit out there Uh, i reckon so any anything they'll they'll go out there and they go to those candies fall first and they you see them just sitting out there eating just Sitting out there eating, and the pecan grower, he just, you know, is nothing he can do about it. You know, he'd go run them off, but they're not going very far. They come right back. Oh, yeah. You know. That, that so. was amazing that day I seen him, just like what you said. He stood up, and he just looks both ways. And I was had slowed down enough as I went by that I was actually able to see him in the rearview mirror of my truck. Mm-hmm. The last car passed him, he... Went right on across the road to the cornfield. Yeah, I mean, they they learn. They're smart, you know. Yeah. He, I saw him, I, I just laughed because he's in that, right in that same spot. Well, where you talking yeah. about? So, yeah. um, interesting thing this morning I saw um, when I went down to the Catahoula, I need to tweet it out too, is uh, they, the grower that we have the soybean variety with, he has the bags. You remember the bagging system? Oh, yes. We he's, still got to go around. He's he bags. Uh, he said he's gonna bag half his corn when he got, I don't know, eight hundred thousand acres of corn, something like that. And he said he's gonna put half of it in bags and half half of it he's taking to the elevator. But uh, I I took a picture of him. I was coming around the curve by one of his fields where he cut the corn, and there's three bags out there. There's two in one spot and another one. And I thought, huh, I hadn't seen one of those in several years. It's but, been a while, you know, but we, I know a couple of folks is still, I think, still using them. Uh, and they're just for short term, you know, just kind yeah. of beat the lines at the elevator, what most of our guys were using them for. Yeah, well, he, uh, he's, he's planning on holding his to, for a couple of months in there to check the price and, you know, just maybe catch a run up in the price where he can get it out and sell it. And uh, that's, that's kind of what he's got on his mind. Talking about price, you know, I know it's not a big deal, but yesterday I did here on the way home listen to the market report. Corn did take a little turn up yesterday. Yeah, the um uh, wasn't great price, don't get me wrong, but yeah, the price the report I think shows that there's the the yield is not for soybeans and corn is not what they were expecting. That pro farmer tour is going on and they're uh, yeah. they're thinking that the USDA is overestimating yield. I think that's what what I read from it. Uh, I think we all agree with them on that. Yeah, it's uh, 
I don't know. It, it's some. It's it's funny. It's how feels are. Uh, one's real good. One's not so much. Uh, one grower told me that said if you had corn on clay soil this year, it was bad. And I said, well, that's not exactly true. Because I've seen. Say, I just got off phone with a guy that it was just the other way around. And, and what was even more ironic was his clay soil that had the most water on it mm -hmm. out yielded the lower end of the field out yielded the upper end of the field. Yeah, well, that... and they're wondering if some of the nit nitrogen didn't move. May have. I May don't... have. The only thing we were talking about it, they flew it on. Mm -hmm. It was too wet. Or they felt like it was too wet to get in there, you know, compaction yeah. issues more than anything else. They want to rush the field up. They flew on some urea early when it was mm -hmm. young. And it was four or five days before they got a rain, and they got a good rain, big rain, when it did come. Yeah. And they're thinking it washed it down to the lower end. Four or five days, if it had been there long enough, had enough moisture to melt and go in the ground, I don't know if it would move that much. Um, now, if it was laying there kind of dry, just a little... Due to melt it, maybe. Yeah, I don't. That's my thoughts. I can't prove it one way or the other. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think it moved. That not after if it if it had enough rain to get it in the ground. I, I yeah. Not uh, wasn't like that year that we put that out on when we were doing the wide drops and we got three and a half inches thirty minutes after we put it out. Now most yeah. of it went in the ditch. Now it just flowed with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean. It's, it's been a, it's been a very unusual year. You get reports of the high end of the fields doing good, the low end of the fields doing bad, and then the same producer will turn right around and tell you in another field the low end of the field done better than the high end of the field, and that was in buckshot. So it's just all over the board, and I think so. I think a lot of it's variety. Some of your brands and varieties seem to be responding differently. Yeah, goes back to what somebody told us once before. These hybrid corns are racehorses. And if they're bred for the race, the least little thing causes them to go out, you know, to fall. Uh, and some that's not maybe as racehorse bred. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Last. Like some some other stuff. Somebody calling you now. Oh, yeah. What about the peanuts? Peanuts is the big thing. You've been harping on these peanuts all year long. Yeah, we almost ready to cut, dig them. Peanuts look great. They look great. I uh, haven't been out there and dug any lately. I uh, did get a call from the gentleman up in Jonesboro, Arkansas, who's kind of the field agronomist for mm -hmm. this co-op that everybody here is in. Yeah. Told me he's coming down some day the first week in September and they're going to pod blast some and see where they're at on harvest. What I understand pod blasting is they dig up a few, um, put them in a wire cage and take a uh, pressure washer mm -hmm. and blow them. And somehow or another, I think it kind of removes that top layer off of that peanut and okay. it gives you a color change. Kind of like black layering, you know, you break open and look at black layering corn. Yeah, okay. This pod washing, kind of, and, and, and Dr. Boyd Padgett showed me, said you can also do it with a pocket knife, and you can kind of scrape it a little bit, and it removes that outer mm. part of the hull. Yeah. You should see a color change in there. 
to uh, know when they're ready to harvest. It's all new. It's a learning experience. So, well, let's hope. Let's hope. It's kind of pod blasting right now. We uh, we need another crop. Yeah. I mean, we've got uh, we added row rice. We've added or adding, I should say, row rice to the heavy land to the clay soils and silt loam soils and peanuts. Because isn't it a four year or three four year rotation for peanuts? Yeah, they recommend no less than three, and then highly recommend four. So, if you've got, you got a cotton corn soybean program already, you could throw the peanut in there. Mm-hmm. That that your four years right there. Yeah. Cotton corn soybean come back with peanuts. Well, we got enough silt loam between all up here along the river, and well, even over there where uh, where I was at this morning, where uh, that grower is, a lot of what he farms is silt loam right there on Black River. And, uh, and like I say, he's all dry land. It would be, if the biggest deal you're going to have is we got to have a buying point. I guess they're called buying points. Close yeah, to where buying you bring point. Them. Uh, and, I, and again, I think I understood them right. I think I did. The long-term goal is to have maybe a buying point and a shelling point or something like that. Then what all they would do is mm-hmm. maybe transport the peanuts that are ready to be processed. No, um, okay, but I don't mean... Interesting thing, you know, they have to, they furnish you the trailer to, to haul them in. Okay. It's a specialized trailer. And what one person told me was, because we were, with the, they had, the guys asked about just hauling them in hopper bottoms. Well, they can't. Hmm. They've got a special trailer, what somebody else told me now. That when they put them in that trailer, they go straight to that buying point, and then they got a big fan that they hook up to that trailer. Mm-hmm. It's got, I'm assuming some kind of a tunnel underneath that trailer, and they move air. I'm not, I don't know if it's forced air or pulled air. I'm gonna mm-hmm. say, you know, probably forced air, and they that's the way they hold them in that trailer until they get them dry enough, or to where they dry them down to a certain moisture or something. It's, it's basically, that trailer becomes a mini bin, if you yeah. want to call it that, a mini storage bin. I know uh, that's similar to what they do with pecans. He, uh, grower, tensile grower, he's got a couple trailers that have fans on them, and they put them in there and blow air on them for, to dry them down, especially if it's been wet, you know, and they pick them up when it's wet, and they'll, they'll put them in there and dry them down for a few days, blow air on them, and then yeah. for a few days. Uh, and like I said, most of what I know is hearsay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I went through it. But and it's still, here again, we go back to the same old thing. It's another alternative crop that we could put on this silt loam soil. Yep. And it'd be another another option. All the way from Arkansas all the way down here to Concordia and even in Catahoula. Along We're the, also looking at, you know, with this vines, there's a tremendous amount of vines left. Yeah. They make fantastic hay yeah i mean that's one of the highest protein hays you can get so they're looking at possibly that as a second market now of course Mm -hmm. understand they're going to have to replace the p and k that they're taking off in that hay yeah Uh, you got to weigh that economically is the value of the hay worth what it's going to cost you to replace the p and k with well that's uh that's true now i have to sit there and figure i don't know the math but you if they already got a hay baler too, then that, that that also figures into it. They got well, a hay baler. Well, we we've got a guy working this area up here. 
Mm-hmm. Custom bailing. I mean, he's in. That's all he is. Is in the hay business. Yeah. He's cut like twenty miles of levee. He's got under contract with landowners. Oh. And he's cutting bailing that levee hay. Yeah. And he ships it all over the country. Oh. And well. he's negotiating with them on bailing it. Yeah. Paying them something for it, and then him selling it. Yeah. So. Well, they, maybe it's a good deal. It's you know it's, it's something you have to put the pencil to to make sure you're mm-hmm. not selling the hay for less than what it's going to cost you in fertilizer to put it back. Yeah. Well, and you don't know how much you're removing. I, I have no idea how much you're actually removing. So. I have no idea. Well. Uh, I know a fellow called me this morning. He had some corn that, that yielded really poor in some areas of the field and really good in some fields of the air, areas of the field. He just ran out there and done a quick soil sample on those spots, you know, as, mm-hmm. as they got through cutting them, just probably just one or two cores, you know, per area. I can see why his corn yields dropping off. Yeah. It's, it's bad. It's really bad. Even the good area was bad. Well, that's pretty bad. One of these folks, you know, I'm sure they taught you this in schools. They did me, you know, this, this old, Mississippi River Delta soil, mm-hmm. it's enough, it, it'll never run out of P and K. It's enough yep. there to life last forever. That's what they said. Well, that's what they said. <laughs> but when we went to harvest, when we went to growing corn and beans really, really heavily and got away from cotton in this Mississippi Delta, mm-hmm. or River Delta, we mined a lot of that P and K out and we're getting in trouble in a lot of cases, guys. Yeah, it's and and I think too that the the varieties have changed. The breeding has changed the varieties, and they use P and K differently. And di- yes. I'm not well. I don't say differently. Their requirements are different. Well, as the yield has went up, it's pulled more. Yeah, it's pulled more. So I mean, all that goes into a factor. So you have to kind of sit there and they go out sit there and think about it. And um, and everybody is because P and K is expensive. I mean, I think yeah, and that's the first thing he told me. I just don't know if I can do it. I can afford to do it. Yeah. My response was, you can't afford not to. Yeah. Well, and here again, you write him a, a site-specific application, makes it a whole lot cheaper than doing the whole field. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, it's a thing. You know, these guys are set on that and not wanting to put any input in them. And you and I have talked about this before. You put nitrogen out, it gets green, you see a response from your money. Yeah. In K, you do not see that response till you have mined it to this point. And that's what it is. You may go five or 10 years, then wake up one year. My yields just dropped out the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's going to take years to get it back up. Yeah. Where that little maintenance alone will have saved you a lot of grief. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. You, this, farming's a complex business. It and, is. And it's a business. And it, it is, is a business. Complex and, business. And everything you do needs to be calculated out. And with that in mind, since we've sat here and rambled on for, I don't know, two or three hours here, sitting around right here. You're not known for that. Well, yeah. And um, let's let's get in. Kylie, like I said, Kylie's not here to keep us on, on track. So let's... Uh, Let's go over and let Daniel talk about uh, Daniel Stevens. You got Dr. Daniel Stevenson, 
and he's a weed scientist, extension weed scientist based out of Dean Lake. And I didn't listen to all, I listened to the first of it. He's going to talk mostly about corn and weed control after corn, pigweed. Um, maybe he's going to get into ryegrass, the resistant weeds we have and what, how to handle them. Uh, let's let let's let her talk and do her thing and then we'll talk after she gets through how about that sounds great all right well here's kyle welcome to today's episode of the louisiana delta crop podcast i'm joined over the phone with dr daniel stevenson and today's topic is going to be on fall weed control so daniel what do we need to be thinking about right now as we're harvesting when it comes to controlling weeds this fall and into the winter to be best prepared for next year's crop? The first thing that our growers need to be thinking about is the weeds that are present after they harvest their corn. And it's pretty apparent. You know, we no herbicide that we apply early season on corn is going to last through the end of the end of harvest as well as on out. So now that we've removed that corn biomass and the sunlight's reaching the ground, the weeds are going to begin to really emerge and grow faster and produce weed seed, particularly pigweeds. And what I'm advising growers to do is to take something on a monthly basis. And the reason for that is, is glyphosate-resistant Palmer amaranth right now, if it emerges today, within one month, it's going to have viable seed. Okay. And that plant can make anywhere from one to two million seed. And those seed can do nothing but cause us heartburn. So what I would like to see growers do, and what, what I have seen has worked well to managing wheat species, and really not just pigweeds. It kind of helps with the broadleaf sydney grass, the brown top millets, the barnyard grasses that are in the field, and any other wheat, is within a couple of weeks of harvest, go in and just take your flail mower and cut that corn stover down to the ground and you're cutting the weeds and that's going to stop that weed it's going to chop it down prevent seed production it's also going to distribute your corn stover for the next step which i would like to see occur no later than one month okay. following that which is tillage so that puts us into september and the grower maybe begin to get his or her field ready for the um, for um, crop production for the next year, so pulling a disc through the field, bringing a set of hippers back through there. Just the tillage needs to be aggressive enough that you're destroying any new emerged weeds or some of those ones we mow beginning to regrow. So that's a month later. Step three to four more weeks after that. Now we're into October. Okay, that's where we could use a herbicide such as if you have emerged weeds, of course, I would suggest the use of Paraquat. Um, at a, and rates depend on the size of the weed, so we can discuss that later, not in this podcast, but at the point from, okay. from the rate of Paraquat, and use a residual herbicide. Something such as Gold, it's also known as Galligan, Valor would fit well here. Um, there's some other products that really lead off would fit well here, and we actually have some data for henbit and other general um, winter annual weeds, then the application of gold on October 15th to um, Halloween or Valor and lead off on Halloween or November 1 application will give outstanding henbit and other broadleaf winter weed control out to next March. Okay. The problem with that is so you have the chance to have beds naked and erosion. So that is something to go think about. So if you're in a highly rotable area, think twice about it. 
But if you know you've got a hemp bed problem and you struggle with hemp bed in the spring, this uh, residual application in the fall could really help you. The next thing from the residual application in the fall that we need to be thinking about is glyphosate-resistant Italian ryegrass. What our growers are doing right now, Kylie, is they're relying on clethodim, which is select and various other trade names that are out there, and they're tank mixing it with a burn down. So they'll go a glyphosate, 2,4-D, you know, clethodim, mm-hmm. Gly- glyphosate, lead off clethodim. And when they're doing this, the ryegrass is getting some size on it, and lots of times we're successful. But lots of times we're not. Yeah. And we're having sublethal death out there or completely some populations were starting to completely miss, which worries me because Mississippi has already confirmed ryegrass that is resistant to clethodium. Oh wow. And we followed behind that ryegrass that Mississippi got back in mid you know, two thousand five, two thousand six started moving in on us about four years later. Okay. Is when it kind of blew up. So if we're tailing behind them, you know, three to four years, maybe yeah. five at most, it's going to eventually happen. And the way our growers are using clethodim to control ryegrass, to be honest with you, they're asking for it. Yeah, yeah, sounds like They're it. asking for resistance. The best way to manage glyphosate-resistant tail ryegrass is um, – based off some research that Jason Bond and Tom Eubank did with Mississippi State University. Uh-huh. And Donnie Miller and I discussed you know, doing this work, but why reinvent the wheel when their program is so solid? Absolutely. And what they have found is the best way to attack glyphosate-resistant Italian ryegrass is with fall applications of something like dual wagnum um, or esmetolachlor. You know, there's multiple, I don't specifically it have to be dual magnum, but esmetolachlor. Okay. Um, a product like Boundary, if you're going into corn or soybeans, um, Zidua is also an option. You could also do a double disking. And a double disking is north to south, so from, you know, zero to 180 degrees, mm-hmm. and then at an angle. I mean, and I'm talking an aggressive cut. What time of year would that need to be happening? Fall. Fall? Fall. Everything I'm talking about is fall, which falls into that Halloween structure because Dr. Bond, also in Mississippi, found that ryegrass begins to emerge in late September through October. That's its main window and into November. It almost perfectly matches the emergence pattern of henbit, and that's some data that we have from here in Louisiana. So a lot of these treatments... Because we have evaluated, you know, esmetolachlor for henbit control. It's not as good as I mentioned the goal and the lead off and the valor, but it does offer some control. So not only would, say, a esmetolachlor application around Halloween, not only is it out there for your ryegrass, but it's also out there to help your henbit mm-hmm. and other winter weeds. The thing that we got the growers got to understand, we have to take mixed periquat with this. Okay. Every application. So, and when I say paraquat, I'm talking if you're using a two-pound material, we're looking at a quart rate. If we're looking at a three-pound material, it's a pint and a half. Okay. Kind of rate, because we got to make dang sure we burn this and kill it. If our growers decide, I'm not doing anything in the fall, I'm going to step over in the spring, that's where the clethodim steps in, except... 
We're not waiting until February and March to chase it. We need to be looking in January. After we come out of that winter, it starts to green up and grow a little bit when it's really small. If we would have been placing clethodim there, Kylie, instead of later, we may not be having the problems that we're having, but we're delaying. So if we continue to ignore ryegrass, and it's going bigger, 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 all right, now we're starting to tiller, and we're out into that spring timing, which is about just after corn planting. I'm thinking, you know, it's Paraquat plus Atrazine, Paraquat plus Diuron, Paraquat plus Metribuzin. You know, so the Atrazine if you're going into corn, the Diuron if you're going into cotton, the Metribuzin if you're going into soybeans. And I'm talking a gallon, a gallon of glyphosate. Okay. To put this out. And coverage, coverage is paramount so an airplane can't do this five gallons of water is not going to cover it i'm talking a tractor with at least 15 20 gallons of water and then once you spray that paraquat atrazine you need to come back two weeks later and do it again okay so let's think of prices here and let's go from backwards from spring back to the fall I don't have a number, but let's just imagine what the cost is for two applications of Paraquat at that rate and step back into a timely shot of Clethodin, which we're losing, so we might as well forget it, back to just using um, a pint and a half to a quart rate of Esmetolachlor in the fall. And the heartburn that that's going to save you to the season not having to deal with glyphosate-resistant Italian ryegrass. That's how that program's set up. Mm-hmm. But just can be completely frank, our growers, the way that they're using clethodim by tank mixing with glyphosate and 2,4-D or glyphosate and lead off, at sublethal doses, most times, they're just asking for it. And unfortunately, we've got some populations now that are starting to spring up that yeah. clethodim's not working on. Yeah. So the third thing, the third weed really that we got to be concerned about that's just completely exploded in louisiana in, in 2019 is horseweed yeah. also known as mare's tail mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of a lot of that around here so oh absolutely um we our growers are seeing it now as a fall not as a fall but as a summer wheat because they see it growing in their soybeans they see it growing in their cotton yeah. but what they're failing to realize is that weed germinated most likely the fall before um, horseweed has, has traditionally always been a, a winter annual species. It emerged in the fall, stayed kind of in a rosette pattern, you know, real small, um, short, you know, maybe two or three inches tall throughout the winter. And then into the spring is when it began to bolt and explode. But it would complete its life cycle most times down south before we really got into the crop season. Really wasn't that big a deal. Up in the Midwest, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, it's a pest throughout the cropping season. It is becoming a pest for us. So the best way to combat um, horseweed, and I'm going to tell you, I bet money is glyphosate resistant. I haven't <laughs> been able to screen it because I can't find any that's not, okay. that, that is susceptible to glyphosate. So let's just call it glyphosate resistant horseweed okay. or mare's tail. The best way for us to attack that is if a grower scout in his field, whether it's the grower or his consultant or you know his salesman, 
and you notice mare's tail or horseweed, I'm going to use those names synonymous, so forgive me. Um, in the in the fall, an application 24D is the best thing to do. A full pound. You know, you could use dicam as well. Sharpens right there, but 24D is really the most economical. Okay. And let's knock that population out because what happens is when that mare's tail emerges and it's just kind of sitting in rosette pattern, it's not getting taller. It's driving that taproot really, really deep. And Larry Steck will show him some pictures of a, of a, a mare's tail root being three feet deep. I can attest to that. Will had some in a field that we had just picked up, and we spent a whole summer hoeing that stuff. And I'm telling you, that stuff is bad. <laughs> yes. That, yeah, and it's, it's really, really difficult. So attack it in the fall. It's just, and if you notice, the thing that keeps coming up here is whether it's henbit or glyphosate-resistant Italian ryegrass or glyphosate-resistant horseweed, we're attacking it in the fall. And that goes back to the old wheat science adage is it's a lot easier to kill a small weed than it is a big weed. Because if we ignore this horseweed and we move into the spring, grower sees it and he says or she says i'm going to use glyphosate which doesn't work that just everybody puts in glyphosate to kill all the other weeds that right. we have right. and they use 24d but they stick with a pint rate or a pint and a half rate of a four pound 24d and they don't kill it mm-hmm. and it keeps growing then they plant the crops because they just they just plant the crops right and it keeps growing and it's in their soybeans or it's in their cotton and then it becomes a booger because there's not many tools that we have to control it post-emergence in crop right there are some things we can do from a residual standpoint you know a pre-emerge herbicide but here's what i have observed in louisiana i don't see a whole bunch of hint of horseweed that is actually germinating and emerging in April and May. It's all that's come from earlier in the year. That's interesting to point out because I wouldn't have realized that either. Yeah. You, you'll see it sometimes, but not to not to a great extent. Now, Arkansas was the same way a decade ago, but it's like the weed is kind of changing its growth pattern mm-hmm. and kind of what it does. So we'll eventually get there, unfortunately. That's just the way it is. Right. So, things like uh, herbicides that contain classic or that contain first rate from a residual standpoint. Um, so, the Canopy DF has got the classic and metribucin in it. That would be a good residual herbicide for horse wheat. Um, things like uh, Authority First or Sonic that has sulfentrazone and first rate in it. Those would be good products okay. from a residual standpoint to use. And they're also very good for pigweed control and other things as we step in in crop the herbicides post-emergence and soybeans that will offer you control of horse weight so yeah um dicamba and extend soybeans 24d and enlist soybeans liberty and Liberty Link soybeans, and also can be used in Enlist. Okay. But, but if we're just growing a basic Roundup-ready soybean, first rate is essentially your only option. Wow. So you can see how you can get limited there. Right. In cotton, dicamba, of course, mm-hmm. and extend cotton, you know, uh, Liberty and, and Enlist Duo or Enlist One and slash 24D, 
and enlist cotton. Then in Liberty and Liberty and Roundup Ready or Liberty Link, if you get into just a basic plain old Roundup Ready, Invoke is about the only option you got that offers any activity on glyphosate-resistant horseweed. So we're getting limited there. We have some tools in the new technologies, the Extend and the Enlist technologies that offer you no know, liberty because you can use liberty in both both technologies of cotton and soybeans we discussed but we still have a lot of growers who are still growing the basic roundup ready soybean not so much as we had in the past due to the drift issues of dicamba but they're still there yeah they're still, they're still there yeah and honestly when i get that phone call it's first rate immediately you know, three-tenths to half an ounce, spray it, because we got to stop it. Because if it bolts and we don't get it stopped, then it's, it's dang near impossible to get. Once it gets, you know, it's just growing along with the soybeans and it gets as tall, you know, a foot or more tall, and that tap roots three three feet or more deep, single application um, of first rate is not going to work. So back to the beginning. We have seen whether we're chasing henbit, swine crest, shepherd's purse, all the other normal winter annual weeds that we see in Louisiana, glyphosate-resistant Italian ryegrass or glyphosate-resistant horseweed. If we start trying to fight these particular weeds in the fall, we're going to be a lot better off than waiting until the spring. Yeah. Because... The loss of clethodim, or almost the loss of clethodim for Italian ryegrass control in Louisiana is right on the horizon. It's already been lost in Mississippi. So they're really struggling. And then this horseweed issue, without a doubt, if we could take it, take it out in the fall or if we see it early in the winter, it's January, February, mm-hmm. and jump on it hard and get it. Yeah. Um, that's that's what we're going to need to do, and I think that's where we failed this year, is the weather prevented us from having timely burn downs. And when we were able to get into the field, sometimes that horse we'd already bolted, and was right. really tough to kill. That's right. Well, it just sounds like if you if you're prepared in the fall, you just you just have a lot more options available than if you wait too late. So yeah, and I, and I know the growers who will be listening to this, and, and we'll maybe one of them, Callie, be, be perfectly honest with you. He or she is looking at it like, look, I'm on the back end of my crop loan. Exactly. You know, I, I have fought like heck all summer long to fight this. And, you know, I'm just you know rented ground, and are just a myriad of reasons or. I've heard, look, I just want to go deer hunting, yeah. you know, or duck hunting. I've heard that before. <laughs> you're, you're just ready to be done, yeah. And I can, I can look, I can empathize. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, my father is, my, my father's a farmer, so I'm the son of a farmer. I understand, mm-hmm. you know, come winter, come the fall, you're like, man, I just want to get this crop out, get it sold, and get done. Exactly. Get my bills paid. Yep. But if you know you've got this problem, and you know you have to fight like heck to keep it beat down, and maybe failed somewhat mm-hmm. you know you got some control think of what it's going to cost you next year because all that we did that you left in the field just made seed you know and that tie and ryegrass can make thousands of seed palmer amaranth and water hemp you know that are resistant to glyphosate can make a million seed horseweeds seed are actually windborne they have little parachutes that can carry them and spread them 
So you may think you got it confined to one field or one area of a field. If you let that thing go to sea, guess what? It's going to be across your field. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of growers say all I ever give them is bad news. <laughs> I'm not. Tr- I'm not. I'm not trying to give you bad news, guys. I'm trying to help you. Yeah. I really am. Mm-hmm. So, I hope. Uh, I hope our conversation did, Kylie. Well, well, Daniel, we we appreciate you joining us today and providing us with all that good information and. Hopefully we can get you on another episode soon, and and maybe you have some good news next time. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so, too. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Stevenson. All right. Thank you. All right. I I knew it was going to be good. Daniel always has a lot of good information. Oh, Daniel's a great speaker, and and, and, and knows what we're talking about. So, yes, it was a very good program. Uh, Like you said, we've got all these resistant weeds, dry grasses, that we've got to deal with and we've got all this land that's that did get planted this year that's, yeah that's that's going to be a we and most of it was out there long enough it made seed oh yeah i know some i saw did. hey we've talked about this on the podcast before got a lot up this way that not only the regular pigweeds and ryegrass but we had a lot of cattails coming up in some of the fields that we had that got laid out yeah yeah well, maybe most of it, I think, has been discussed. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, and probably was one of those times that a, a disc was really needed. Yeah, well, and they had to get rid of it. It was pretty deep, and but and they had to do yeah. it two or three times to get it chewed up. And, they, and some of it's already been rowed back up for next year, so they're ready. Um, we don't have a question of the day. Um, we do have a couple of events coming up. Um isn't there a the beef and forage beef field day? That's September the nineteenth. Uh, the beef and forage field day is September the nineteenth. Uh, registrations at eight a.m. It starts at the Gold Mine Plantation, which is kind of west of Winsboro, south of Mangum, in there. Yeah. Oh, uh, right across Big Creek. That's no, I, I I can get there. I know yeah, how to I get, get to there it. Yeah, I can get there. Somebody need better instructions they can call us and we'll give it to them yeah the, the other thing the big thing is i guess uh we're sending out i know you told me the other day you'd send it out i've i think I've, I've got to send it out today pesticide disposal if you've got some old pesticides you want to get rid of them the ldaf and l and lsu ag center are trying to coordinate a pesticide disposal where you've got some old stuff pesticide disposal yeah you bring it no questions asked and they take it no no charge but they do want uh they're sending out a little survey they do want to kind of get an idea of what they're looking at and with that in mind i I looked at that form yeah you got to put your name and all on it but i've asked them to send it to me yeah i won't i'll just kind of total up pounds yeah, that's I think that that's way. What. So the names won't go any further than, than my office in my area. Mm-hmm. And they what my understanding is they will look at that and say, Okay, we've got enough in in uh, Madison Parish to justify a stop in Madison Parish and yeah. North Tinsaw and Southeast Carroll and you know, can come into here then we may look and say, Okay, well, now we'll do another one in, you know, Richland Parish. Yeah. 
I think that's what they're trying to arrange collection points and seeing what they're looking yeah. at. So we'll, uh, I need, yeah. I got to send mine out today and I'll, uh, I'll add that about just sending it back to me and then I'll, I'll total them from there. Um, I guess that's pretty much all we got. Uh, yeah, other than, you know, another thing, you know, just safety, you yeah. know, during harvest season, everything <coughs> going on, you know, not only from a driver's perspective, uh, but a, a worker's perspective, you know, all this big equipment moving up and down the roads, you know, be aware of it if you're a, in an automobile uh, or if you're on farm working, you know, just be careful, especially somebody said the other day, you know, we all got a bad habit of jumping out of the even it running, go out there to tweak something up. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we had a guy lost his life like that. Just went out there to tweak something and, Something went wrong, and the I think it was a com. I mean, a, a corn picker engaged and pulled him on up in there. Yeah, well, it's so, everybody needs to be careful. Minute, shut it down. Do what you got to do, then fire it back up. Yeah, it's uh, it's well worth the price of, of good batteries to do it. I mean, it That's just it. I know it. I know everybody doesn't do it, and you think it is, but it is safety. Safety needs to be a priority for everybody, the farmers, the workers. Doing everything I just said. Yep, needs to be a priority. Just and even you know, people riding down the highway. Yeah. Don't get in a hurry. Don't. Don't get in a hurry. You know. So, we'll all right. There. Well, with that in mind, I think we've talked long enough. And uh, like I say, Kylie's not here to keep us straight on time. She she tends to put her thumb down on that time business. So. Yeah. This will this this podcast may go a little bit long, but that's all right. Y'all send us, y'all subscribe to it. Uh, send us your ideas, any questions. Contact us. Let us know. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, and we'll I guess we'll be back next week. So yes, sir. Also, right. give us a good review. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.